Romans, working our way through, arguably which is the, what, the greatest book in uh, Scripture. I don't know if you can really say that, but uh, minds much bigger and brighter than mine have said that about the book of Romans. It is the meat and potatoes of... My guess is that you're sitting here, you have some kind of either wrestling or belief in a God, uh, in, a, in, a, in a hereafter, in a guy named Jesus, uh, kind of this wrestling through. And the book of Romans is the meat and potatoes of our belief as what we'll, we'll call it Christianity. You know, this idea that there is a God, that there is only one true God, that he is triune, meaning he has three parts to him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He created a world, a world where we had choices, choices we are not robots, we are his daughters and his sons. None of you that have daughters and sons would want a robot for a daughter and a son. I'm sure there are times, maybe, that we would like robots, but... We would not feel love from them because they would not have a choice, right? And so God, God made uh, humans in his own image, and that gave us a choice, okay? And we talk about that a lot. A squirrel doesn't have a choice. A chicken doesn't have a choice, you know? Um, Abishai found a baby chick in a parking lot this last week, and what is a riot is... Obviously, that chick was not going to make it. A, because it's cold. B, because there's something out there. Yes, Jesse. Yeah, you found it at the school parking lot. That's right. And what is right about this chicken is this chicken knows that Abishai saved it. It is crazy. Like, it follows her around like a cat, jumps up on her, jumps up. Like, you'll watch. It's like a parrot. It will jump on her back and crawl up to her shoulder and just stay on her shoulder. Like she's a chicken pirate or something, you know, it, it's a right. And the chicken, I think, knows that it, it saves it. But anyway, that chicken has no choice but to be a chicken. I'm sure when it was in the parking lot, it was like, I'd like to go in there or I'd like to be something different than a chicken right now so I could survive. But it can. It can just it just chooses to be a chicken and it cannot be sinful. It can't rebel against its design. Right. What if a chicken was like? I ain't laying eggs. You get your own eggs. Right? Like, no. Like, it can't rebel against design. But we as the human race has rebelled against our design. Our design is to bring glory to our maker. And we're like, you get your own glory because I'm going to get mine. You know? We do. That's what we do. And so the book of Romans helps us grapple with this idea that all of the human race... All of the human race is broken. What is causing this brokenness? And what has God done in order to fix this brokenness? And the book of Romans walks us through that God sent his only son, right? John talks about this. John was Jesus' best friend. So if you're an individual who's new to the Bible and you're like, where do I start? I would start in the book of John because it's Jesus' best friend. So if you want to know about Jesus, you've got to read a letter written by his, his best friend. And John says that God loved the whole world, that he sent Jesus to die on a cross, to live a perfect life, to die on a cross and to rise again so that for us when Paul says in Romans, when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, Paul says we are saved. But to, but to be saved from something, you first have to acknowledge that you're lost. 
And that's one thing that's very difficult for us Americans. And, and, and I understand that. We're, we're pretty hardy people. Actually, hats off to you. You are hardy people. I doubt, statistically, there are many churches within an hour drive of here that have the statistics of how full this crowd is right now on this morning. Right? This is pretty much what we've had for attendance for the past three months. So we're pretty much capacity for what, almost like I'd say 100% attendance today. When we were printing bulletins and I was looking at the weather, I'm like, yeah, print 30. You know, because normally at a church it rains and it's freezing or it, the wind is blowing or the sun didn't come up yet. We find excuses not to be here, right? And, and so you guys are hardy people, hats off. But sometimes the negative effect of being a hardy person is that I'm all set. I got this. New Englanders are classic for doing that. We don't ask our neighbors for help. We don't ask for directions. We just get more lost and more lost and more lost and more lost. And so the book of Romans says this thing called the gospel, which means good news. For there to be good news, what? There has to be bad news. Because you just can't have good news. If there was no such thing as bad news, it would just be news. So the bad news is that you and I have chose our own way. Isaiah says everyone is like a sheep that's chose their own way. Now sheep, it's actually kind of an insult that the Bible compares us to sheep. right? And I'll never forget, because I grew up in western Maine. There ain't a lot of sheep farms in western Maine. I was, in, I was in college and we were on a choir tour. And we were out in, I think it was actually eastern Montana. And in eastern Montana, it's just flat. It's flat, it's flat, it's flat. And there are a ton of livestock farms there. And one, so what would happen was you'd come into this church, our choir from college would come into this church, and we'd sing a night for them, maybe a Tuesday night or a Thursday night or maybe on a weekend night. And it was kind of really awkward. It felt like you were back on the dodgeball team in middle school, or it felt like you were playing like football at recess. Because after the whole night was over, we'd have a meal, and then everyone that agreed to do host homes would stay in the congregation, and we'd stand up front, right? And the pastor would be like, Blair and Dory Whedon. Uh, yep, pick two people to bring home with you. <laughs> we'd be like, uh, okay. You know, you always feel bad. You're like the last ones to be picked. You're like, Right, and so we ended up this old lady. She was just the cutest old lady, and she picked three, four of us guys, you know. And I think I'm thankful she picked us because she was going to feed us. And boy, did she feed us! And her husband and her were farmers, and her husband had died quite a while ago. But just like a hearty, good old Eastern Montana, she's kept it up, right? And she had this sheep farm, and she was explaining to us over breakfast how dumb sheep are and why the Bible compares us to sheep. She goes, "Here's what we'll do." You get in the back of her truck, and she's driving through the field. And as soon as she comes into the field, right, all the sheep, what, come to the back of the truck, right? Now, she's like, take those little squares off the square bales. You know, they come out in, like, little sheets about that big. He goes, you can sit there and throw one of those squares right onto the head of the sheep that's following the truck. It will smash over that sheep's head, nice hay, and the sheep will shake it off and keep following the truck. And she goes, you, if I could have gas long enough in this truck, they would never stop and eat that hay, and they would just die following this truck. She goes, that's how dumb they are. You know, and I was like, whoa. She goes, yeah, and that's the thing. We are following a truck that will never satisfy us. And what the thing is, right, 
is especially us American Christians, right? What we try to do is instead of agreeing we're lost and whatever we're going after won't satisfy, we try to make what we're trying to pursue good. We're saying that's ah, not drugs, it's not alcohol, it's not sex, it's not rock and roll, so I'm all right, right? Because we a lot of times tend to create that truck that keeps throwing us little bales of hay and hitting us in the head and we never stop and get substance. That's good stuff in America. Like children. Know anybody that worships their children? It won't ever satisfy. It won't ever satisfy, right? Know anyone that worships their job? Maybe their marriage, maybe this ideal, uh, you know, lifestyle, right? And this is where you can all point at me. Know anyone that worships ministry? That's one of the hardest ones because then you can really deem that it's good. Well, I'm doing the work of the Lord, right? The ministry is not the Savior. I had a really hard conversation with somebody who was just all about the Bible. The Bible is an incredible thing, but you know what? You can worship the Bible and be idolatry. You can. And you've got to be careful about that in Bible school because you can become all about the scriptures. And then I remember I had this conversation with this kid and I had to get right in his grill. And I was like, bro, this is the letter. It's not the lover. It's just what the lover wrote. Right? When I was in Mexico, and we, you hear me talk these, about these stories all the time, but when I was in Mexico and Heidi was in the Fiji Islands and the only way we had to communicate was just actually by handwritten letter, do you think that I made a life with those letters? Do I sleep with those letters today? No. I don't actually know where they are. But when you take God's word and you do it to that, you know, you look like Heidi's what? Like, would we ever have Abishai and Hattie and Jesse? No. Would we ever have a life here in Lincoln? No. I'd be stuck in some weird, insane asylum, rocking back and forth, being like, a letter, a letter, a letter. And you'd have to come visit me, right? God's work is absolutely incredible. It will not save you. But the best friend of Jesus said that Jesus is the word and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and the word became flesh the word could not give its life but the word that became flesh could give its life and that's what a lover does is it gives its life so we're on to romans chapter 12 and romans chapter 12 i think we're going to be here for a little while romans chapter 11 was pretty weighty theology and pretty weighty history we spent one sunday on it you'd like to go and research or learn about romans chapter 11 hats off go do it i'll give you all kinds of great material romans chapter 12 is extremely practical for us okay romans chapter 12 starts off with a big declaration and then it tells us how to operate as a body I really hope that you read Romans chapter 12 once a day, once a day, starting today, for as long as it takes us to get through Romans chapter 12, which might be like three or four weeks. It would be really, 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 really good, right? Even if you could get to it like three, four times a week. Romans chapter 12, it's not super long. I think it's under 30 verses. 
and um, it is incredible. It, it will help. It will really, really help us as a body understand how we function and how this whole thing called Christianity works. Because Paul, up until this time, has been kind of laying out some fundamental um, laws or rules of, of, of the practice of Christianity, right? For instance, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's a principle. That's a pillar of the Christian faith, that all have sinned, okay? Then the next pillar is the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Another pillar, right? Other pillars that we love, Romans 8, 28, right? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them are called according to his purpose. Another great pillar of the Christian faith. Romans 8, 38 and 39, and I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? That's another great pillar. These are all amazing pillars that we've all like, got this life called Christianity on. The uh, Romans chapter 12 is the now what? Right? Because I have witnessed a lot of people that know a lot about baseball, but you go to throw them a ball, they're like, yeah! like, what, dude? You just explained to me the entire game of baseball. Have you ever met a friend like that? I had friends like that that could tell you the entire statistics of all of the Red Sox leagues. Every single one of the batter averages, pitching, you know, matchups, all this kind of stuff. And then they can tell you all about the positions of the field, and they can break down all of the, like, strategies of the game. Like the hit and run, right? Or the steal, or the, you know, force out, or the double play. They can tell you all about all of these, like, fundamentals of the game. But you're like, oh, sweet dude, sweet dude, let's go out back and throw catch. And they're like, uh, yeah, no, no. You're like, what? You just, you just explained baseball for me for like two hours, dude. Let's go play it. You get out that this, this ball at this guy, and he's like, ah! What is wrong with you? We can do the same thing to Christianity, right? We can dissect it, and we can look at it, and we can, you know, say this verse means this, and we can have all of our Bible studies, and we can go to church and sit there in the row and be like, oh, I know this, and sing all this, you know, worship song and listen to Christian radio. But when it actually comes time to serving our neighbor, we look like that guy who tries to catch a baseball, like, ah! You know? Loving our neighbors ourselves. Ah! Right? Romans chapter 12 is the how-to. It's like the now what. So, we're going to start and dive right in in verse 1, Romans chapter 12. What is the first word? I'm going to take you to Bible school right now. I'm going to give you a little bit of taste of what uh, Eunice is going through right now and what Nathan's about ready to go through next uh, year. What's the first word you see? Right? If you go to Bible school, you will always learn this. When you see a therefore, you've got to ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? That's one of the first things in Bible school they will teach you. What is the therefore therefore? So what must you do to find out what the therefore is therefore? You gotta turn back. You gotta look at the end of Romans chapter 11 and I'll read it for you. Romans chapter 11 verses 33 through 36 says this, Oh the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. His path be, are not, traced, not traceable. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him 
and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And then Paul says, therefore. So essentially what he's saying is, <coughs> excuse me, God is huge. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God needs not you. God needs not me. He is awesome. He makes you go, wow. Right? Therefore, because of God's awesomeness, now let's read this. Therefore, because of God's awesomeness, brothers and sisters, and just in case you didn't get it, that awesome guy is merciful to you and me. Paul is like really setting this up. You need to pay attention because he's like repeating himself. He's like, dude, because of God's awesomeness, oh yeah, and because he's merciful to you. And what does mercy mean? We learned last week about grace. Remember we saw grace throughout Romans chapter 11? Grace was getting something that you don't deserve. All right? Me marrying Heidi, that's a lot of grace. I got something I didn't deserve. Mercy is not getting something that you did deserve. Right? I'm not really sure I deserved even to go to college, but I got to go, which is sweet. Want to know a little something? You should plug your ears, anyone that's going to college. I made it through college. I never read a book. I actually never read a book in college. It's crazy, right? I read the last little bit of each chapter or the last little, like, review questions, whatever. Don't listen to me. But I never, I never read one. But I went to Christian college. They're kind of, like, fake. But anyway, they're like a fake college. And look at me now. Sorry. There's some educators over here that are a little bit mad right now. Listen, I, I got Heidi. She read them all. It worked out great. I know, not very far. What were, I can't read. What were we talking about again? Mercy. So please have mercy on me, teacher. <laughs> is not getting something that you do deserve, right? And so many a times I felt... My father's mercy, because I did, like, a great example of my father's mercy, right, was when I got my first speeding ticket. And I wish I could say that my first speeding ticket was like seven over or eight over. No, my first speeding ticket had three tickets in it. And you've heard this story before, but my first speeding ticket was improper passing, driving to in danger, excessive speed those were my three tickets and all told it was over three hundred dollars in fines it was like four hundred dollars in fines and i lost my license for 60 days right and so when i brought those three well those three tickets were sitting on my bureau at my house waiting for my father to come home from work right because my mom just was like your dad will be home at 5 30 you just talk to him right she didn't even want to deal with it right she went back to whatever she was doing so dad came in sat in his recliner you know, and what I do, I took the three pieces of blue paper and just put them on his lap. He goes, oh, what's this? Because this was a time before Facebook and text messaging and all that. Mom couldn't text and be like, wait till you get home. Marcus has something to tell you. Like, no, he was blindsided by this. And I'll never forget, he was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he goes, well, looks like you'll be walking to work. And that was it. 
That literally was it. And that's mercy, right? That's mercy. Because he already knew I had to pay all that. He didn't pay any of those fines for me. He already knew that me losing my freedom of my license for 60 days, that's, that's rough. So he already knew. So that's, that's mercy. So Paul's saying this, guys, therefore, because God is awesome, and in his awesomeness, he has chosen to give you mercy. We don't like the word deserve, do we? So back to this education piece, right? We don't like the word deserve. You look at colleges, right? We're kind of leaning towards everyone deserves a degree. Does that really work? Is that really college? No, it isn't. We, 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 and and I, don't, I, don't, I don't like it either. If I'm in a position of grading or I'm in a position of like telling people how they do, I'm awful at it, right? So like for instance at Loon, we had to do like a staff evaluation and I was the manager last year of a, of a department. And I'm like, I wanted to just give everyone fives, right? Because I didn't want to have the conversation with somebody when I gave them a two, right? That is no fun, right? And then we get into this like, well, everyone deserves a five. What? Everyone deserves a five? Really? Well, then that just totally, completely says working hard is not really even worth it, right? And so we don't like that. But here's what the Bible says about you and about me, okay? I said it earlier. The wages of sin is death. And the Bible says that we have all sinned. And so what you have to grapple with first, and this is a difficult one, is that all of humanity deserves death. That's what we deserve. And so this is what Paul's talking about. In light of God's mercy, meaning this, you and I deserve death. However, God has made a way called grace to get something we don't deserve. That's called life. So mercy is not getting something you do deserve. In the scripture, it's death, right? And grace is getting something that you don't deserve. That's life. And we as Americans don't like that because we think we deserve everything. It's my right. Oh, really? Okay. You can go for it. So we've looked and we've seen what the therefore is there for, and then we've looked at mercy. Okay? I wrote down in my notes, God does not sweep sin under a rug. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned. But God sent his son to deal with that sin, according to Romans 8.3. He became a curse for us, according to Galatians 3.13. Our sin was put on him, according to Isaiah 53.6. And his pain healed us, according to Isaiah 53. And then I wrote down, this is true mercy. Romans 8.3-4. This is true mercy. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to become a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Hallelujah. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but now according to the spirit. That's mercy. That's mercy. So Paul says here, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now this is old language. 
old language. Have you ever uh, had an aunt or an uncle or a grandmother or a grandfather or a great-grandfather or a great-grandmother or a neighbor that used old language? Have you? My grandmother still says again instead of again, right? Does anyone else's grandmother says that, like again? And I'm like, a what? I know I'm going to play a game later, Grammy. She's no, like again. I'm like, a what? Again? Oh, gotcha. Right? That's old language. This is Paul using Old Testament language to present your bodies as living sacrifices. That just is old, outdated language that's weird. Sacrifice is a weird word. Like, ugh. It's like, right? Like, it's funny. We were talking about this at our house the other night, right? And we talked about the Old Testament. And what they used to do is they would give of their possessions, usually animals, because it needed to shed its blood for the forgiveness of sin, and they would sacrifice their animals. And we looked around our table, right? And we decided that our household is so sinful on 23 Con Drive that six chickens, that's what we have, six chickens would not be enough at all for us to do sacrifices, right? We need a lot more chickens, right? I think I would need a lot more chickens even if I lived there by myself. Um, And so this is a sacrifice. Now, what's funny is we say in 2018, oh, we don't sacrifice anymore. That's something from long ago or in some third world country. Baloney. Absolute baloney. I'll give you one of my sacrifices. I love ski racing, and I love my children in ski racing. Do you know how much time I sacrifice for my kids' ski racing? And do you know how much money I sacrifice for my kids' ski racing? Abishay sat down with Heidi and I, and we looked at her goals for next year's ski racing. Abishay had a really good year ski racing. She's about ready to go into a new, a new dimension of ski racing that's going to cost a lot of money. And so we pull, pulled it out on a spreadsheet. We went through it. It's just shy of $5,000 next year what Abishay could do if she went to everything that she's going to be invited to, all the races. And, uh, and so we said, all right, if that's what you want to do, you've got to come up with 10% of it, right? And so she's off mowing lawns this summer and doing walking dogs and taking care of people to come up with it. But that's a big time sacrifice, okay? So I was just really honest with one of ours. Some of you guys have TV shows, Right? And that's cool. That's fine. I've got the NFL. I sacrifice a lot for the NFL. Right? I cut off conversations. Come like, ah, it is 12.55. Kickoff is in five minutes. Okay? I love you too. Uh, you know, right? We sacrifice that. You know, same thing might, might be with your TV show. It might be with your exercise. It could be with your food. It could be with your vacation. It could be with your children. It could be with your ministry, your job, your career. You will sacrifice. I mean, you look at like Wall Street, right? Wall Street has one of the highest um, like suicide and highest depression rate. Why? Because they're sacrificing unbelievable amounts of energy and time for something that at the end really doesn't love them. No, we can all sit here and point a finger at that as we live in country bumpkin land, but we do the same thing in our own little worlds, right? And so sacrificing is something that we're accustomed to. 
here's the thing, and I'm going to end on this. Like I told you, it's going to take us a long time to get through Romans chapter 12. We're not even through Romans chapter 12, verse 1 right now. And this is what I'm going to end on. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, which is your reasonable act of worship. Or this one says your proper act of worship. It's incredible, our God. Because you and me worship so many things that don't give back to us. They kill us. They ultimately kill us. If you worship your children, A, you're going to kill them. And B, hey Sam, are you going to the mountain with, with, with Nathan? Dude, walk out there and tell him to get going. Hey, Sam wants to go to the mountain. Love you too. Poor, poor Nathan got caught. Um, right? We worship. We worship so many things. Love you, Nathan. See you, buddy. Um, poor Sam. He's such, he's, you raise a very patient, kind child. You just, wish that, you just wish that happened at home, right? Isn't it funny how that works? It totally works. Like People will always say about our kids, like, oh, your kids are just such great conversationalists. We're like, have you rode with them in a vehicle? Like, what are you talking about? You know, and that's how it goes with parenting, isn't it? They're like, thank you, children. You, 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 you do really well for other people. Please bring that home, you know. I, I remember it as, as, a, as, a, uh, as a cousin. I took one of my 13, it's funny, actually. I, I took her to Loon Mountain. Uh, there, her parents were from Nashua. And I came down and I said, hey, well, let's go to Loon Mountain. And, and, and this girl can really be mean to her parents, right? And so I was kind of like, uh-oh, how am I going to do with this 13-year-old? She's going to give me a run for my money. But I thought, well, at least if I go skiing with her, I know I can ski faster. If it's just annoying, I'll just, you know. And we came to Loon Mountain before I even really knew the mountain. So I came and skied Loon, which is crazy to me to think about this, how many years ago it was. She was a joy. It was so much fun. We had so much fun. And I'm not kidding you. We stepped through the threshold of her house, and it was like a light switch had gone. All of a sudden, she's like, give me something to eat. I'm hungry. Where's my food? It's too cold. My, my feet are soggy. My, my, my feet hurt. I'm thinking, what just happened from there to there? And why I got on this, hopefully will encourage you as a parent, because it happens <laughs> to me, it happens to you, and it happens to my aunt and uncle, you know? Um... But Romans chapter 12, here's the thing. I'm going to end with this as a big concept. God is perfect. He's absolutely 100% perfect. And that's what Paul explained in Romans chapter 11, 33 through 36. Right? Because it says in 36, And from him and through him and for him are all things. Meaning this, he's all set. God is all set. And that's what perfection means. You've heard me say this before, but I can't think of a better analogy. Perfection is this. You're a mother with your daughter, and she's about ready to get married. You and her dress shop all around New England. You hit Portland. You hit Portsmouth. You hit Burlington. You hit all these places because you're looking for the perfect dress, right? And every time she comes out from the dressing room, you're like... That one's too short. Oh, that one's way too long. Ah, oh, that one's frumpy. You look like my grandmother. You know, uh, you know what? I love that word, frumpy. I learned it from my kids the other day. Um, I'm pretty hip, aren't I? I know the word. Um, 
right? And then you're like, ah, that one's got some weird sleeves. That one looks like you should be a linebacker for the Patriots. Um, like, keep, I know, keep going, right? And then all of a sudden, your daughter comes around the corner after 50, 60 dresses, and you go up, oh, that one's perfect. And what you mean is this, it needs nothing. And that's the definition of perfection. It doesn't need anything. And that's God. He doesn't need anything. And what the proverb, the wise guy wrote the proverb said this, your worst problem is you think God's like you. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And what's crazy about this is this. God says, I want all your worship. All of it. Give it to me now. It's exactly what God says. And guess what? Just hearing that makes me go, what a narcissistic jerk. Right? He's all about himself. That's Because, you know, if I do that in my house, I'm like, give me all your worship, kids. Give it to me. Well, that's just, why? It's awful. Why? Because I'm not perfect. This is going to hurt your mind. We've talked about this before, but I'm going to talk about it again because this is what Paul's talking about here. The most unselfish thing a perfect being could do is to create another being that needs the perfect being. That's a lot to think about. The most unselfish thing a perfect being could do, because think about it. If you're a perfect being, did God need to create the human race? No, he didn't. But he was unselfish and knew that his love was perfect. And he knew that experiencing his love and being in his love would be the greatest thing for something else. And so he created the human race. And why he allowed evil, we don't have enough time for that discussion. That's a long one. We can have it when we get there. We can keep having it now. But God is perfect. And he wants all your worship. But does God need it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. You need to worship God for you. Because your 401k is going to let you down. That stallion of a man that you married, he's going to let you down. That phenomenal girl that you married, she's going to let you down. At some point in time, she's going to act like her mother. It's going to be a rough day. I love Heidi's mom. I love her actually to death. But when Heidi accidentally gets caffeine, she turns into her mom and everything just starts getting cleaned. Everything. Everything just starts vanishing out of sight. It's like, whoa, hide your children. They're about ready to get put in a closet. Your job will let you down. Your ministry will let you down. It will let you down. God demands your worship, not for him, but for you. Lord, we thank you for Romans chapter 12. We're just getting into it, Lord. I feel like this morning I was all over the place because I, 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 I looked ahead, God. I looked ahead, and there's so much I want to communicate about Romans chapter 12, Lord. And I only got on two points in my, two points in my notes. Lord, you need to take over for Romans chapter 12, and you need to help me by the power of your Holy Spirit to zone in and focus on what we need to think about and talk about. But today, Lord, we are stopping and looking at the therefore because you are perfect, because you are awesome, because you are great. 
and we are looking at presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice to you because of your mercy. You've given us life and we don't deserve it. So, God, in gratitude, we give it back to you. We give you our lives back. Have them. Have your way, Lord. Have your way in me. We thank you so much for this group, this time to hang out. In your name we pray. Amen.